How to find your offshore staff. Nine steps. Let's go through those today in this episode. Let's talk about which country you should be looking in, what skills to look for, where to search and how to advertise. What screening questions to ask? Who should see your ad? Should you go for individual agency? How to shortlist? And then how to interview? Let's go through those nine steps now in this episode. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 363 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. So today, let's go back to our mini-series about offshoring. We have spoken a lot about offshore labor hire agencies. TOA has been mentioned many times on this podcast. So today, let's look at how you can do this alone. How can you set up your own team overseas directly? So not labor hire and not outsourcing, but your own team that you hire directly. That is what we will focus on today. And it will just be me today, which is quite challenging because it's it can get very boring very quickly and monotone when you just listen to one voice. So I hope it will be all right. So before we focus just on direct hires, let me just very quickly set the scene again. When you want to set up a team overseas, so not outsourcing, but your own team, You have four options. And the first two are the most common ones, which we already spent a fair bit of time on in episode 358 to 360. Sorry, I got the numbering wrong. That's why I had to record the numbering again. I, there are so many episodes, I sometimes get confused. So episode 358 to 360, just very recently. You might remember those. And these are... Offshoring option number one, labor hire agency with staff working in the agency's office. You can go to a labor hire agency like TOA, rent their staff and have them work for you in the agency's office. So not your own office, but the agency's office. That is what we covered in episode 358 and 360. Offshoring option number two, direct hire working from home. And the second option is to hire directly. That is the option we will focus on today. You find your candidates through word of mouth on online freelancer platform And then they work for you from home, possibly with a shared office space to access when need be, but predominantly from home. So that is what Theresa Vesala was talking about in episode 359. So these are the two setups we have discussed so far. And then the other two we haven't really mentioned yet since they are less common, but here they are. Offshoring option number three, direct hire working in your office. The third option is less common and more relevant for bigger practices, and that is setting up your own office. So not just a shared space you occasionally use, but a proper office. So you sign a rent contract, you put a manager, a local manager in charge who is on site, you hire local staff who then work directly for your practice in your overseas office. You usually need to set up a company in that country and there's probably paperwork involved before you can rent office space and hire local staff as a foreign controlled entity. In some countries, there's more red tape than in others, so it can definitely be done. But the thing is, it only makes sense when you need a lot of people because having your own office comes with a lot of fixed overhead and hence doesn't make sense for just two or three staff members, but makes perfect sense for 50 or 100 staff members. So if your practice is in the Australian Financial Review's top 100 list, you know the one we covered in episode 226 with Edmund Tedros of the AFR. 
the Australian Financial Review list of the top 100 accounting firms in Australia. If your firm is on that list, then it does make sense to set up your own office in the Philippines or somewhere else. But for just two or three bookkeepers, it doesn't make sense because you just have too many overheads. Offshoring option number four, labour hire agency with staff working from home. And then the fourth option is to engage an agency staff, but they don't work in an agency's office, but work from home. And of course, this distinction between working in an office and working from home is always putting lockdowns aside. And I also can imagine that the agencies who offer this, they will try to make this distinction between office and working from home very fluid. They might say, yes, there is an office somewhere where people can work. Or let, let me say it differently. If you spend two hours one way in a jeepney to go to the agency's office and you have the option from working from home, you will always work from home, I think. I think having a fluid line between working from home and the agency's office only works when people live a practical distance from the office. But when if it's two hours in a jeepney, I think the option of working from home will always then be working from home. But let's just say it's a clear distinction between working in the office and working from home. And I've always been critical of this labor hire agency working from home model because you combine the disadvantages of going through an agency with the disadvantages of working from home and what these disadvantages or advantages are. We will cover in episode, I think it will be 367. There we will, you know, basically put it aside and say, okay, what speaks for an agency and what speaks against an agency and for a dark tire. But yeah, my critique so far against this labor hire agency working from home was always that you basically combine the worst of both worlds. But then I got an email today from such an agency and they listed some salaries and that picked my interest. And so I just quickly wanted to read it. And so for example, for a bookkeeper, they listed 1,250 plus GST per month. So 1,250 times 12 divided by 52 gives you a weekly salary of $288. So let's say that's $300, an easy round number. So for a bookkeeper, $300 a week. That is roughly what you pay when you hire directly, 300 a week. And of course, this agency wants to live, so they will take some commission out of there. So the question is, how much is the commission? Because if the commission is quite high, or let me say it differently, you need to ask how much is actually going to the accountant. Because if that is not a competitive wage, then your accountant won't stay long. Turnover is much higher in the Philippines. And sorry that I say everything about the Philippines, but I just know most about the Philippines. Turnover is much higher in the Philippines than in Australia. While, for example, TOR still claims that they have a relatively low turnover for the Philippines, that turnover is still higher than what you would have in Australia. So turnover, staff turnover is an issue in the Philippines. And if you pay a market rate through an agency, hence what actually arrives in the accountant's bank account is less than market salary, then they won't stay long. So I'm skeptical of this. So at first sight, it kind of looks like a feasible solution because the salaries they list of 300 per week for a bookkeeper, and then it goes up, and then it goes up $50 higher for an accountant and another $50 for a senior accountant, roughly 300 to $400 per week. That is what you pay if you hire directly. So I'm just skeptical how much really arrives in the accountant's head. But that's a lot said about agency hiring directly. Sorry, I kind of got a little bit off track here. So 
that is the fourth option you have to use the labor hire agencies where the staff work from home. The four options you have, labor hire agency working from the agency's office, a direct hire working from home, direct hire working from your office, and then an agency working from home. Those are the four options. So today, let's focus on option number two, and that is a direct hire working from home. So the focus today is how do you do that? How do you find somebody? And of course, it's difficult to talk about it because it has a lot of overlap with what you do anyway. So it's not like that when you hire overseas, it's a completely different process to what you would do if you hired in Australia. And also hiring directly is not completely different to when you would hire through an agency. So there's a lot of overlap. And hence, I always feel a bit nervous that I'm going to tell you something that you already know because, you know, it's not something completely separate. So if I talk about something you already know, then please forgive me. And then the other thing is, of course, that I'm not the expert. You know, everybody's working this out. Everybody kind of works it out differently. So I basically just tell you what I do so that you know, and then you can decide. It's like parenting. You know, you listen to everybody's advice and then you pick what makes sense to you. And I will tell you a few stories of my experiences. And of course, there are millions of stories out there and my experiences might not be representative. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. You can try it, you can find a better option and you probably find a much better way to do it. The entire process consists of 11 steps. The first nine steps are to find your offshore staff and that's what we will cover today. And then step 10 and 11 are how to hire your offshore staff and that is what we will cover next week. So episode 363 comes in two parts, part one today and part two next week. Today in part one, let's cover the first nine steps to find your offshore staff. So that was a rather long introduction. So here is step number one. Step number one, which country? If you have personal or family connections to a low wage country, then set up your team in that country. So for example, Theresa in episode 359 is from Sri Lanka. So it makes perfect sense for him to set up his team in Sri Lanka. But if you have no connections to a low-wage country, so you're not from the Philippines, you're not from Sri Lanka, you're not from India, and you're not from China or Taiwan, although I don't even know whether Taiwan is a low-wage country. But, you know, if you have no connections, then go with the Philippines. They speak American English. They have an excellent work ethic, most of them. Of course, they're always exceptions. Good values and direct flights from Australia and they are close to our time zone. Or if you're in Western Australia, they are in your time zone. So the Philippines is a very popular choice for offshoring from Australia. Another factor to work out which country is regional expertise. And I feel a bit nervous discussing this because A, I'm not an expert in this. And of course, there are always exceptions, but different regions have different strengths. The Philippines are really strong around call centers, admin support, accounting and financial services. India is also a strong contender in this area. While for hardcore software development, for example, you will probably go to Eastern Europe, India, and before 2022, Russia. For creative work, Eastern Europe around the Mediterranean is really strong. But I say all this with some hesitation, since you can, of course, find strong contenders in any country. And I haven't mentioned South America, and I'm sure there are also regional hubs of expertise. But for accounting staff, go for a country that you have connections to and if you have no connections to another country that has um, a competitive 
salary wage level, then go to the Philippines. With Vietnam, the language barriers tend to be higher. The English is more of a struggle in Vietnam. The accent tends to be stronger, or maybe it's just me struggling with their accent. You know, when accent meets accent, <laughs> it gets more complicated. And with India and Sri Lanka, the time difference starts to bite. It can still be done, but zero to two hours of time difference with the Philippines is just a lot easier to handle than four or five hours with India or Sri Lanka. Four or five hours is already half a working day. Step number two, what skills? The next question is the skill set you're looking for. And that, of course, is a lot of overlap with any other hiring you've ever done, whether you hire in Australia or whether you hire through a labor hire agency or whether you hire directly. You need to be, of course, clear on the skills you're looking for. I'm stating the obvious. And so you will already have a process. But just if you have never worked with teams overseas, just in that case, then focus on the two or three most important ones and don't look for a ninja. Don't look for somebody who can do everything. And when you hire overseas, probably scale it down just a little bit for offshore staff and be prepared to do a bit more training. Step number three, where to search? This is where the music is. Where do you look for your people? You have two places to look for. Maybe there's more, but my experience is there are two main places to look for. Where to search, number one, word of mouth. The first one is word of mouth. Other Australian accountants with teams overseas. That is how I found two accountants who have been working with me for, one of them has been with me, I think, for eight years or so. I have to count the years, but a long time. So word of mouth, I think, is very good because it also creates, it creates a reputational risk on both sides. Ask other Australian accountants with teams overseas. Ask them whether they can ask their offshore staff to make inquiries among their friends because accountants know accountants. You know, it's like in Australia as it is in the Philippines. And if word of mouth doesn't bear any fruit, then go to plan B. And plan B is Upwork. Where to search number two, Upwork. Your plan B is Upwork. Upwork.com, up as in down, the opposite of down. And then work as in, let's do some work, upwork.com. Upwork is an online freelancer platform for professional services where you can find a lot of accountants. Most current and past tour staff are on Upwork. There are other platforms out there. Upwork is not the only one. For example, there's freelancer.com, which was started by a guy in Sydney. But I would just go with upwork.com. Step number four, how to advertise. So now the question is, how do you attract the talent you are after? And of course, in general, it is like a job ad on Seek in Australia. The basics are the same. You describe who you're looking for and what you offer. But some things are slightly different. And so when you advertise on Upwork, of course, you start by registering as a business on Upwork and then you create a job ad. And what you say in your ad, of course, depends on the role. But here are five things I would mention. How to advertise number one, country. If you're looking for somebody in a specific country, I would say so. You will still get applications from other countries, especially India. But if you want somebody in the Philippines, then say that. For some roles, it doesn't matter where the person is. If you're looking for a person who can work independently from the rest of the team, then location doesn't matter. So, for example, 
If you have an accounting bookkeeping team in the Philippines, but you're looking for a software developer who will only work with you or an SEO specialist who will only work with you, then it doesn't matter that they are in a different country. So then you don't have to stress this. If you already have a team, then I would list the country of this team so that the person you're going to hire who's going to join this team will be in the same country. Or if this is going to be the first team member of a larger team to come, I would put some thought into where you want your team to be. Because wherever your first team member is, that's probably then also where you will get your other team members to come. I would avoid having different bookkeepers and different accountants in different countries. It's much easier to create a team that works virtually together when at least they are all in the same country. But beware, just because somebody's in the Philippines, it doesn't mean that they speak the same language. So I didn't realize that straight away, for example, I had somebody working in Cebu and then I had my current team working on a different island and I only realized afterwards that they actually speak different languages. But of course, everybody speaks Tagola, but they are still different languages. So be aware of languages and cultural differences. And I would try to keep everybody as close together as possible. So highlight the country you're looking for and highlight it for two reasons. A, it means you get less applications from other countries. You still do get applications from other countries, but less. And highlighting also helps you to stay focused, to know this is the country you're looking for. How to advertise number two, role. The following is very obvious. You list the job title. So for example, whether it's an assistant accountant, senior accountant, accounting supervisor, give the child a name. And then you describe the role, you describe what needs to get done, who will support them, who will report to them and so on. Just like when you write a job ad in Australia. How to advertise number three, software. List the software you work with. So Zero or MYOB or QuickBooks or BGL or Class, whatever it is. And it is an or and not an end. Don't list them all. List the one they really need to know. Because most accountants on Upwork have worked with many different accounting softwares. But you don't want somebody who knows every software just a little bit. You want somebody who lives and breathes that particular software that you work with. And that's why you need to be specific. But I know that some accountants see this differently. So, for example, I remember an episode we did with Matthew Edison, the head of the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers in episode 316. And in that episode, when I suggested that you can't be an expert in two or three or four different accounting softwares, that you tend to only be an expert in really one and that hence it's better to just focus on one software. Matthew didn't agree. He thought a bookkeeper could very well be versed in Xero and QuickBooks and MYOB. I'm not sure. I think you always have a software you are stronger in than another. And hence, I would really focus your ad on that software you use. Because if your practice uses Zero, you don't want an accountant who is really strong in QuickBooks and knows a little bit of Zero. You want an accountant who's really strong in Zero and maybe knows another software, but it doesn't really matter to you. Hence, be really specific which software you are using and you're looking for an expert about. And then you can list other softwares you use like FYI or Sweet Files or PI or Carbon HQ or whatever it is. But I wouldn't make those the focus of your ad. The main thing is that your candidates know your accounting software inside out. How to advertise number four, availability. 
This is really important. This is probably the most important point of your ad and your recruitment process. And that is what time of the day do you need this staff member you're looking for? Because you need to keep in mind a lot of agency staff work on Upwork after hours in the evening. And if you're happy with evening hours, then say that because it widens your net of potential candidates. But if you need your staff during the Australian daytime, then say so. It's really important. You still get applications from people who already have a day job. So that is still something you really need to flesh out later, for example, through the screening questions. But for now, just say when you need them. How to advertise number five, Australian experience. Specify whether you want candidates to have worked for an Australian accounting practice in the past and how long that ideally would have been. For example, at least two years. You still get applications from others, but it's good to already list what you're after. I list, for example, that it would be great if they had worked for TOA or a similar agency for at least two years in their Australian teams. Most young accountants in the Philippines know TOA, and so they will know what I mean. So these are the five things I would mention in your job ad. And then, of course, you need to sell yourself. That is the same as in Australia. You need to sound like somebody good to work for. So competitive wage, support, training, personal growth, career progression, flexibility, just some examples. Maybe there are slight cultural differences between countries, but I think in the end, we are all human. We all want to earn a living. And beyond that, we want to have a purpose. We want to feel valued. We want to feel like we belong. So that is your job ad. Step number five. What screening questions? After writing your ad, Upwork will ask you whether you want a cover letter or screening questions. So depending on what you choose, the candidate will either need to attach a cover letter or answer your questions before they can apply. Always choose screening questions. They are a lot more effective because they allow you to really hone in on the important points. If you choose cover letter, then the candidate will just attach their CV and that CV most likely won't cover anything of what you really want to know. So always choose screening questions. Ask about the three most important things they need to tick. You know, the three most important things that are deal breakers for you. For example, can you work during Australian slash Philippine daytime? Or how many years of experience do you have in class? Or How many hours per week do you spend on zero payroll? Or can you implement STP2 for us? Just examples. The screening questions really depend on what the core competencies are you are after. The important point is to choose screening questions and not a cover letter. And to focus your question on the most important things. And then just before you publish, Upwork will ask you two more questions. Step number six. Who can see your ad? Upwork will ask you who can see your ad, whether anybody or only people registered on Upwork or only freelancers you specifically invite. Choose only freelancers on Upwork. If you take anybody on the internet, you get spammed. You will, <laughs> yeah, you will wish you had never heard about Upwork. It is really bad. I mean, at least it was for me. Maybe other people didn't get spammed as I did. So, My advice is don't say anybody on the internet. And if you say only invited freelancers, it means you have to go through the profiles and look for candidates and then invite them one by one. 
And then it might be an outdated profile and they are no longer looking anyway. And all this is very time consuming with, in my experience, relatively little result. So choose any freelancers on Upwork. Step number seven, individual or agency? And then the last question Upwork will ask you, of course, there are more questions. I've skipped a few that are self-evident. So the last question we need to talk about is whether you only want individuals or also agencies applying. Say only individuals. You don't want applications from agency staff. A lot of agencies advertise their staff on Upwork, especially in India, but also in Eastern Europe. So not like TOA, where staff sign up privately and work on Upwork without TOA knowing. But instead, the agency actually puts the profiles up and the profile might be of a past staff member and they just continue using that profile. It's basically like advertising for their agencies. So the person you speak to for the first time might not be the person whose profile you were looking at. You might never speak to the person whose profile you originally had looked at. You might be open to agency staff, but my advice is to avoid agencies. That is the whole point of hiring your own team to avoid the middleman. So choose only individuals. And then you post your ad. Step number eight, how to shortlist. So now you get applications in Upwork. You probably get around 30 to 50 applications, but not all of them meet the criteria you listed. Most of them won't. They will be from a different country or different availability or different software or different skill set. A really good match, but it really depends on the skills you're looking for. If it's a very niche skill, you probably only get a handful of candidates. If it's a widely available skill, then you might get a lot more matches. And by the way, stop notification emails because you don't want to receive an email from Upwork every time somebody applies. So now you have these 30 to 50 applications. And of course, you need to shortlist because, of course, you can't interview everybody. Upwork already does a first selection for you by highlighting what they view as the best matches. But you really need to go through this. And so for that, look at the following seven criteria. Shortlist number one, country. Delete everybody who is not in the country you're after. For example, bookkeeping staff, I would only look at people in the Philippines. It's just a lot easier when they're all in one country. But you might have a different view. You might be happy for them to be in different time zones or countries. Shortlist number two, screening answers. Next Look at their answers to your screening questions. From the answers you get to your questions, you can already tell a lot. How much effort did they put into their answers? Did they actually answer your question? And is the answer what you are after? Shortlist number three, ranking scores. Ranking scores are a good first indication. Upwork gives you a ranking score for every freelancer. If a freelancer has a score below 98, that is a warning sign because clients usually are nice and give five stars. And if they don't, that is a warning sign. And also, whenever you close a job because it is finished, Upwork asks you for two ratings. The first one is confidential and the second one is public. So the ranking score is mainly based on the confidential rating and not the public ones. Hence, a good indication. So look for high-ranking scores, but you also need to look at how many ratings those scores come from. Five stars from 100 ratings is really strong. Five stars from one or two ratings is kind of meaningless on its own. And I will tell you when we talk about reviews why that is. Shortlist number four, agency. 
if you ticked only individuals before you posted your ad, you shouldn't get any applications from agency staff. If you miss this one, you can see the agency connection in the lower right corner. So if there is an agency connection listed, delete that candidate, unless, of course, you want to work with an agency. Shortlist number five, hourly rate. And then look at the hourly rate. If it is really high, then drop that candidate. If it is close to what you offer, keep going. Keep in mind that the hourly rates in Upwork are in US dollars and Upwork gives you a really bad exchange rate and charges you a service fee of 5% if outside the US on top. And then also look at the hourly rate the person charged on previous jobs. If it is much lower than what they quoted you, you probably can negotiate a compromise. But if it is far out, then let this candidate go. No point in negotiating them too far down. Shortlist number six, profiles. So now you start honing in. You start looking at profiles. You can't look at everybody's profile. So you do this after you did a first rough pre-selection. Have a look at their profile and see how much it matches what you need because applications often get tailored to what you want to hear. But profiles stay the same and hence tell you where the candidate's focus and expertise really is. Let's say you need zero expertise and in their letter to you, in their screening answers to you, they say, yes, zero, I do zero, I'm a zero expert. But their profile is all about QuickBooks. Then they are probably not the right candidate for you. And then also avoid profiles that try to cover everything. So if somebody lists every software out there, every accounting software out there, I would stay away from that candidate. If somebody lists every software out there, they probably don't know any software that well. So I would look for candidates that really list in their profile what you are after. So if you're after a zero expert, their profile should be focused on zero. If you are after a class expert, an SMSF expert, then their profile really should be about class and SMSF. And there are not many, but there are some that are that specialized. And that is what I would go for. Shortlist number seven, reviews. And then the last point, point number seven, before you move to actually interviewing your shortlist is reviews. You can't read everybody's reviews because it takes time. So that's why reviews come last. See what other clients said about this accountant. But you can't take good reviews at face value. There are fake reviews on Upwork. A freelancer can set up a fake profile as a client, hire themselves for $10 and then leave a five-star review. So you really need to question reviews. And there are three ways to detect a fake review. Fake review detection number one, project value. Look at the project value. That is the amount of money the employer paid to the freelancer via Upwork for that job. If that is a high amount, you can be reasonably sure that this is not a fake review because the higher the project value, the higher the Upwork fees. And a freelancer won't pay hundreds of dollars in fees to get a fake review. Fake review detection number two, reviewer. Another way to find out whether a review is genuine is to look at the writer of that review. You can see their Upwork history. If they have already spent 50,000 US dollars on Upwork, you can be sure that they are genuine. If they have spent $100 on Upwork and this review is the only one they have done, then you're probably looking at a fake review. Fake review, detection number three, number of reviews. The more reviews a freelancer has, the more reliable the ranking is. Five stars after 100 ratings is really strong. That freelancer doesn't need fake reviews. 
five stars from two ratings, there is a possibility that these two reviews are fake. Doesn't have to be, but a higher chance than with a freelancer who has 100 reviews. So have a close look at reviews before you move a candidate to an interview, because an interview, of course, takes even more time than looking at reviews. So in summary, these are the seven questions you look for when shortlisting candidates for an interview. So this was step number eight, shortlisting candidates. You look at country, answers to your screening questions, ratings, agency connection, hourly rate profiles, and reviews. That should help you to cut the mess of applications down to two or three candidates you now need to interview. So this is the big thing now. Step number nine, interview. Step number nine, interview. So this is now where the magic happens, where the music plays. This is your last point of attack in finding a really good candidate and your last point of defense in avoiding a lemon. You chat with your candidate via the Upwork Messenger app, but arrange to meet via WhatsApp, Zoom, Teams or Skype. Invite them to the platform you usually use to talk with your team. So you know it works. This interview is really important. It gives you a lot of the information you don't or can't get from their profiles and their screening answers. Seven things to look for. Interview number one, ease to set up a meeting. How easy is it to set up a meeting already gives you a good indication of what it would be like to work with this candidate. Ideally, they can talk with you at short notice. If they can come into a meeting room straight away, that is a really good indication that they have a proper setup and are reasonably tech-savvy. But if it takes several backwards and forwards to agree on a time, they can't make the link work or their camera doesn't work, then these could be first warning signs. Interview number two, availability. Finding a time to talk gives you a good indication of their availability. If you can arrange a meeting at short notice during the day, higher chance that they are really available during the day. But of course, you don't know for sure just by that. They might step out of the agency's office to take your video call on their mobile. So ask them about availability. Really drill down on that. How are they currently earning a living? What are they currently doing during the day? Interview number three, skills. Ask them the questions about the area of expertise you need. Talk tech with them. See whether they can talk the talk and walk the walk. Ask them about a recent technical issue one of your staff had and see how they would have solved it. Or just ask them random questions. For example, if you need them for payroll, ask them about STP2 or making changes after the payroll has been finalized for a year. If you need them for SMSF work, Ask them about work tests, contribution thresholds, or recontribution strategies. Drill and see what you get back. Interview number four, working space. This is something you don't have to worry about with agency staff, but you really need to sort this out for staff working from home. Where do they work in the house? Do they have a separate office or do they work in their bedroom? You usually just see a wall behind the candidate or they even green screen the background, so it is difficult to tell. Do they have a desk and a chair? And if not, do they have space for a desk and a chair? All things you can't take for granted. I took those things for granted and then learned the hard way that you can't take it for granted. Interview number five, tech. What laptop or computer do they use? Get the model number. Some freelancers have really ancient computers. If you skip this question, you might end up paying for it. If not, by paying a laptop, then by bringing inefficiencies into the team. 
If a candidate is serious about working from home, they should be investing into a proper laptop. And then you also need to check whether they have a second screen. If not, you might have to buy them one at some stage. And this was a mistake I made. I didn't ask about this for one of my accounting staff and I'm still paying for it in a way because she's still on a really old computer that is very slow and slows her down. So I wish I had asked this question at the start. Interview number six, childcare. The next question is tricky to ask in Australia and hence also tricky to ask overseas, but it's really important when your staff work from home and you have so little control over their working conditions. And that is, do they have children? And if yes, how old are the children? Do they go to school? And if yes, what are the school hours? And if they are below school age, who's looking after them while they work? The answer is usually that it is the mother or a sister or a sister-in-law who's looking after the children. And you have no way of corroborating this, of course, but at least it tells you whether you have a potential issue. If the staff member has young children and turns out to be less efficient than anticipated, then a lack of childcare is probably at least one of the reasons. Interview number seven, agency. Agencies who advertise their staff on Upwork are meant to disclose that agency connection in the Upwork profile. But some agencies don't. They just advertise the person as an individual and there is no agency listed in the bottom right corner. You might be talking to a staff member of an agency or the agency owner and have no idea that you're talking with an agency. It might be that the person you're talking with is the one with the best English and hence they do the interviews and are the point of contact for the work. I would be wary of that setup unless, of course, you are okay with an agency. For example, for SMSF work, if you don't have a lot of SMSF clients and you don't really need to build in-house SMSF expertise, you might be happy to just hand the handful of SMSF clients to the agency and they run the thing. So it depends, but you need to know. So ask. The next two issues, so number eight and number nine, I have experience, but never with the accounting staff, never when I worked really closely with the person, but I still want to list them just so you're aware of the issues. Interview number eight, delegation. Is the person you interview actually the person who will do the work? So there is no agency disclosed. They tell you that they are doing the work and then they don't. They get somebody else involved. This happened twice to me. And the first example is a very sad story. I worked with a WordPress person in India and I spoke with him on Wednesday and he was going to fix something and then he didn't fix it. And so I followed it up, but got no answer. Complete silence. And then a week later, I got a message from his Upwork account and I thought, ah, oh, Barit is back. I wonder where he's been. And then it was his brother saying that Barit had a car accident on Wednesday afternoon and died in hospital on Friday. And I was quite shaken by that, actually, even though I had never met Barrett in person. And then his wife contacted me the next day through Barrett's Upwork account and told me, actually, no, it wasn't through the Upwork account. It was through Skype, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, it was through Skype. And she told me that it had been her all along who had done all the work on my website and could we please continue working together? And I had no idea. I had thought Barrett had done all the work. I didn't even know there was a wife. And something similar happened a few years later with the podcast editor who I had hired for a short project. 
we discussed a few things and then it didn't get done that way. It was as if we never had that conversation. And so I asked him straight away whether he actually did the work. And I told him that I was pretty sure somebody else did the editing. And he admitted that it was his quote unquote sister who had done the work. And it actually happened a third time. Do you remember the guy in India who charged 40 hours? Sorry, this is actually just about to go live. And I just realized that I haven't actually told you this story. I was going to, but then I skipped it because I thought it was too much detail, not relevant enough. But now, since I mention it, I should tell you, I should tell you what happened. I hired somebody in India. At the time, I thought it was some high-tech skill to scrape the data from one database and put it into another. Thinking back, it was probably just a Zapier. But at the time, I thought it was a high-tech skill. And so it was a very high hourly rate. I think it was 100 US dollars per hour. Insane when I think back. But it didn't really matter anyway, because the um, person had estimated five hours for the work when we discussed the matter via video. And so... The hourly rate didn't really matter so much. It doesn't really matter so much when you hire somebody for five hours than if you hire somebody for an ongoing job. And I remember looking at the um, hire screen on Upwork and looking at the 40 hours a week limit and I was going to change it, but then I just left it in case it takes an hour or two extra. And I also thought it looked distrusting if I changed it to five hours. And I thought that this would be a nice gesture of trust. And of course, completely stupid and naive and you can see where this is going so I hired this IT guy the cousin and then I told him to wait please because I still needed some more time to give him more details I still needed to work out this and I needed to work out that and so please just wait and then he charged 40 hours to the account 4,000 US dollars for basically nothing and Upwork wasn't any help complete waste of time so the lesson is to be really careful. Upwork is a great place, but you really need to watch your back. There are cowboys and conmen out there, and the only person to protect you is you. So that's the story. But now back to the cousin. And it actually happened a third time. Do you remember the guy in India who charged 40 hours? The thing is, I'd actually not interviewed him. I had interviewed somebody else who then, after I hired him via Upwork, said that his quote-unquote cousin will help him. But then the so-called cousin didn't just help, but became my only contact. And as you know, it didn't end well. So make sure that the person you hire is really the person who will do the work and not some cousin, sister, brother, wife or husband. And of course, this is more an issue when you outsource, but not when you work with the person day in, day out. But you know what? This can still happen to you, even when you have all your staff working in the office and don't even offshore. I know an employee in an accounting practice in Sydney who delegates repetitive tasks to somebody in the Philippines without anybody in that practice knowing. And his argument is, well, they shouldn't use me for data entry. I discussed offshore staff with them, but they're happy to just use me and I'm not happy with that. So that is my solution. End of quote. So interview number eight, delegation, make sure that the person who you are talking to, who you think is doing the work, is actually doing the work. And then the last point is fake profiles. Interview number nine, fake profiles. And then this last point is an issue I have actually encountered quite a bit on Upwork, but never for accountants, but for other skills. So 
Just in case you then also use Upwork to find an SEO specialist or similar, let me just quickly point this out. And that is fake profiles. So the freelancer shows on Upwork, shows a fake name, fake photo, and probably also fake country. Why do people do that? Either because they got bad reviews in the past under their real name, and so they set up a new account, or they think that a different region will make them look better. I have encountered that, for example, with software developers who pretended to be, I think in one case, they pretended to be in Russia. In another case, they pretended, I think, to be in Sweden, but then they didn't speak Russian or Swedish when I started writing to them using Google Translate. And then, yeah, it became very clear that they're not in that country and it's not their photo and it's not actually the person they pretend to be. You work that out because they can't do a video audio call. And when you use Google Translate, as in my case, to chat with them in their local language, they don't speak that language. And then they have some explanation why they don't speak that language and slash or their photo looks like a model. But fake profiles are mainly an issue when you look for software developers and other skills, not for accountants in my experience. So these are the things you need to drill down into during your interview. Availability, skills, working conditions, tech setup, childcare, and who will actually do the work. And then you hire the person. But how you hire and how you give your offshore staff access to your software and data, and especially the ATO portal, the ATO Online Services for Agents. Let's cover that in the next part, part two of episode 363, how to hire your offshore staff. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaas for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.